0: Welcome to another episode of the Vegan Health and Fitness Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. He's a former employee of Vegan Health and Fitness Magazine, believe it or not. And that was nine years ago, I believe. And since then, it's been quite a journey for him. He's been to Australia, Hawaii, and Michigan, where he's from again, and then somehow ended up at Yale as a candidate for a master's in public health. And so he's an expert in public health and has always, as far as as long as I've known him, been a brilliant guy with many wonderful things to say. So I know this is gonna be a great interview. I wanna give you an opportunity. I did such a sloppy job with your bio, just hitting on a few highlights. Dallas, welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about who you are and what people um, should know about your background?
1: No, I think you, you, you did a pretty good job. Nailed it. My name is Dallas McCulloch. I'm 37 years young. Uh, I was born and raised in a city called Battle Creek, Michigan, little industrial town west of Detroit. Uh, spent most of my life on tour with punk rock bands. Um, you know, still playing bands. And certain point, um, I don't know. Got sober when I was 27. Moved to Austin. Started working for you guys for a couple of years, and. Uh, Wound up in Australia for a while, and then Hawaii, and then uh, went back to college, and I guess my 30s is just dedicated to academia, I guess, and now I'm 37, and I'm about to finish up with an MPH program in May, as long as I don't uh, mess it up too badly, and uh, then, yeah, hoping to keep uh, just basically balancing punk rock and public health. It's kind of my scene.
0: How many people can say they're balancing punk rock and public health? I think that's really cool
1: not too but some <laughs> there's a handful you meet occasionally actually here's a funny story i was wearing this exact shirt at this festival in florida and a guy comes up to me oh no i wasn't sorry there was a guy wearing the same shirt and i complimented his shirt and he goes he goes i know you from from yale i'm like oh you go to yale and he goes no i work for i work for the surgeon general uh, so he happened to be the communications guy for the surgeon general he played in a punk band out there and uh and he was like he was like yeah i remember like because i asked the Surgeon General question when he came to Yale. And, and, and the dude's like, he's like, I was like, who is this guy in a sleeveless T-shirt, like calling the Surgeon General brother? <laughs> you know, we're in slip-on vans. It's like, oh, okay, I got it. The dude works from, you know, they realized we kind of roll in the same circle. So there's, there's a few of us around, talked to, even at Yale, I've had a couple uh, professor, then another person from the Office of Public Health Practice. And my department had all, have some sort of background in, in the punk rock scene. Um, we're around. I mean, you know, it's, uh, Brian, obviously, he's seen how many times has he seen whatever Dead Caddies or Wingo Boingo or Devo or whatever, you know, it's, we're around. Punks punks are around. We got educated and run things now.
0: That's cool. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk to you about how the punk scene, you know, was involved in your decision to become vegan or it coincided at the same time that you got sober and it seems like there's Well, I mean, a lot of people who are familiar with the punk scene know about the whole straight edge movement. And uh, Ian McKay, who I guess coined the term, I said it right, I didn't say McKay. Uh, And he coined the term straight edge. And it's funny because I was listening to an interview with him and he was talking about how when he coined that term and it was to talk about his upbringing of feeling like an outcast and like being marginalized because he maybe didn't choose to want to drink a lot and do drugs and have promiscuous sex like the other guys that he was buddies with. And he would get ridiculed for that. And so he was talking about that. And then when he created A movement without even meaning to by having this song that that movement created a group of people who started marginalizing other people Mm -hmm. within the punk scene who chose to drink and have promiscuous sex or things like that and how you know ironic that was and that it kind of pissed him off
1: (laughs) yeah for sure and I've I've heard him speak on that you know and he said like he's like he's like but but I remember him one interview he said like but could you imagine like let's say some of these gangster rappers seem about like killing people like what if people took that to heart the idea of like murdering people you know i don't know how you'd sleep at night you know at least he had good intentions and if people want to run with that that's kind of out of his jurisdiction you know he he's right. he's always seemed like a pretty down-to-earth guy but yeah so i guess the the, the background when that scene you know when you think of like the whatever 70s and 80s rock and roll scene it's especially when you get in the 80s you know songs about doing cocaine and banging strippers, you know, and this, you know, driving down Spalvida, you know, like just, just that hair rock crap. And there was, a, you know, just a backlash against a lot of that with, with people, uh, you know, with Minor Threat, you said Ian McKay, Minor Threat, that was early 80s, um, you know, singing much more, I guess, you know, positive music. They kind of really started the American hardcore punk scene. But even before that, you know, it's when you look at, the clash, you know, for sure. Like there was a, a, definitely much more of leftist political overtones. Even before that, looking at, you know, the MC5 from, you know, back where, I, back where I come from, you know, they were the white Panther movement. Like that was like some diehard, like anti-Vietnam, anti-racist sort of action sort of thing. So it's, you know, th- there's been a contingency within a lot of the, you know, I guess rock and roll scene, but um, you know, especially when you get into to the more the, the punk rock side of things that, that's been a pretty standard part of it so a natural extension of that is going to be you know environmentalism and animal rights being a contingency of that so my exposure i remember just going to like a local hall show when i was probably 14 and seeing a band where the guitar player on his guitar just said animals are not ours to eat wear or experiment on i'm like huh that's i guess you know kind of, yeah i started getting the gears turning a little bit i remember going to you know probably some other show and it wasn't weird to have um you know like, like info shop libraries and stuff that were set up the internet was not big but there was you know zine libraries and, and animal rights stuff was going to be an extension of that it was frequent for you know PETA to set up for things I think of like when I was in high school I remember you know Goldfinger having open your eyes was like a pretty major album with lots of like very blatant things about veganism so yeah at a certain point I remember um just thinking like, oh, you know, I guess I got a pet dog. I wouldn't rip its head off and eat its corpse. So why would I do it with a with a pig? You know, it just seemed very hypocritical. And, you know, I made some some friends from, I guess, kind of the suburbs next town over, you know, and one of them was vegetarian. He had some like, it was like a Boca burger, like a Morningstar chicken patty thing. I remember eating one and being like, oh, this is pretty good. I could do this, you know. So it was 4th of July, 2002. I was just like, I'm just not going to eat meat again. And I haven't, you know, and then, Uh, You know, a few years later, I went vegan. So it's been, I guess, fourteen years. I think so. Been out for a while for sure. But yeah, it's just kind of a it ties in the whole idea of the uh, what do you say, human liberation, animal (laughs) liberation. Like it's 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 all related.
0: Right, and so for you personally, um, you were going through some stuff and looking for a solution. And, you know, I I know how much punk music has meant to you. And I feel like this is a very healthy thing about punk music. And it's funny because I didn't know I'm older than you. And like the punk scene was happening in the early 80s and somehow I missed it. Like I was listening to pop music and, you know I feel like it would have influenced me but I was just into the wrong, I don't know, tempo or something. But it's like now here, as an older person, like learning about the stuff that was happening back in the day, I'm like, damn, that's, that was really freaking cool that they were, you know, that there was this opportunity that somebody like Ian Mackay would create to show people that it's okay to make these choices. And that from that people were began eating healthier and saying, it's not wrong to be vegan. It's cool. It's okay. And it just, like yeah. you say, opened the door for all that. And I'm sure that that's what happened in your personal life, in your personal mind, that it like kind of opened your mind to the idea. And then you were like walking through it and going, hey, I feel better. Hey, this is cool. Is that what happened? I'm <laughs> just guessing here.
1: Yeah, well, it's, I mean, you know, so it's because, you know, I mean, you're, you know, you've been doing this longer than I am and you're older than I am as well. So, you know, like the, the access to the sort of, information that we have now it was not a thing you know in battle creek michigan in 2002 i guess by then like the grocery the big grocery store they might have a little frozen you know veggie section that was maybe it had some bokeh burgers by then but like soy milk wasn't like really a thing you know it wasn't you know it's not like now where it's like you watch an nba game and it'll be like you know brought to you by burger king impossible Whopper, you know like that that was absolutely not going to be a thing You're seeing like Taco Bell's new vegan cheese. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's, I mean, it's, it's crazy how much things have changed, you know, since I've been, I'm about 21 years here, what, like 30 or something. You've been at this, right? 32. So
0: 32.
1: Yeah. Well, like long enough where we don't even like really try, I don't know. It's, I don't think about it anymore, you know? And uh, so it's crazy how much things have changed, but, but back then, and you know, the internet was not like it is now either where it was a much more fringe thing like unless you were i guess you know if, if you were indian or something or if you were like seventh-day adventist or something or you know some like really freaky you know whatever you're in new york or san francisco maybe some hippie but like you know in mississippi and in the rust belt that was not the standard thing unless you were within one of those sort of like minority circles
0: right Yeah, I know. I definitely can relate to you since I am from the South, from Mississippi and you growing up in Michigan, that this sort of thing wasn't accessible to us. And it wasn't until for me when I got out on my own when I was 19 and I was modeling that I went to a macrobiotic convention and met all these people who, you know, nutrition had turned around all these diseases and you know, I was also, you know, friends with somebody who was vegetarian and who was making lots of comments and it was like a whole new world was open to me. Did you have a time in your life when all of a sudden you started encountering this information that you had never encountered before?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was really just going to more shows, you know, and because in my town, you know, there was little hall shows up, but sometimes, you know, we would go to, to Detroit, you know, or go to Grand Rapids, or some of these other, you know, you get these bigger cities and you get more of these sort of influences. You're meeting people from other places. and That's, I think, good for anybody to like meet people from other places or other walks of life and they're going to have other ideas. And some of them are going to be terrible and some are pretty damn good, you know, and just the idea is to take the good ones and then try to apply that to your own life. But yeah, so that was that was definitely it, you know, hanging with more, Yeah going to shows and meeting people, you know, with a very similar, you know, I guess there's definitely a very progressive, like, you know, spirit and ideology that that exists within much of that scene. And it was just an extension of that.
0: Was there a certain song or album that really spoke to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I kind of like a lot of the, the classic ones I got into later, you know, how to kind of work my way backwards. So, um, I mean, the Gorilla Biscuits, their song Cats and Dogs is just just perfect, uh, you know, big fan of that. Uh, Youth of Today, they, the, the song No More was that, they actually had a video for that in the 80s, and it's about the meat industry, you know? And this is, like, right at the same time when whatever Motley Crue's probably singing Girls, Girls, Girls right before, and then it's like, here's footage of, like, these people being opposed to, like, factory farms, you know, which is pretty awesome. But I didn't get into that till probably a bit later. Some of the earlier ones... Definitely Goldfinger open your eyes. That was a pretty big one. I remember like sub the motions that had some like uh yeah, some some sort of messaging on it. Um whatever. Anti flag who are definitely not uh yeah, they they are not uh whatever. They they've been very canceled now, but but they definitely, you know, would bring a lot of uh you know, a lot of positive things with them when I'd go see bands like that, um, too, you know, and, and just kind of learning that a lot of these, you know, musicians were into that. And, and at the time, you know, when I was a teenager, it was 9-11 happened. I was 15. So by the time I was, you know, 16, so I went vegetarian, but around then was like, we had the war in Iraq, we're, we had the war in Afghanistan, a war in Iraq, where one was 2002, and one was like 2003, you know, and I was, terrified of like dude i was failing out of school i'm poor you know it's a white trash kid if the war happens they're sending me for sure you know and i don't want to go murder anybody you know and it just seemed like kind of a natural extension of that of like it's, i don't know yeah if murdering humans seems pretty it's pretty stupid so probably murdering a bunch of animals senselessly is also pretty stupid
0: so it's just logic
1: it's i mean it's it's not a big leap you know to think that hey maybe we shouldn't murder any of these creatures you know unnecessarily even yeah. if it's like normalized
0: and so was animal rights your main impetus or was it health or was it
1: both? Yeah no i didn't give a shit about health i uh you know like i i just i just didn't i, I when i even when i went vegetarian my brother joked that i was a vegetarian who didn't eat vegetables and all i ate at first was like bean burritos and cheese pizza and like mashed potatoes and peanut butter sandwiches and stuff and just like you know the first time I ever had a salad I was on a date and I drove you know like I was like I just I just didn't mess with any of that I remember going to Subway you know before I was a you know vegetarian and getting a sandwich where it'd be a chicken breast with cheese on it and on white bread Mm -hmm. and like that was the sandwich you know so but I think after going vegetarian at first um, you know, started kind of exploring other things. I remember like having Jamaican food for the first time, you know, and I've got like a family member who's Cuban, you know, and eating some Cuban food, and thinking, oh, this is pretty good, you know. But really, when I started going on tour, I was like 18, 19. And that was traveling around. I'm like, oh, there's a whole world. You know, I, I didn't know what I've been trying Indian food for the first time. I'm like this green thing is amazing. You know, oh, this, I didn't know what the name were, you know, this brown thing is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, And yeah, really, it was, I think, going on tour more exposed me to a lot of other foods. And I realized once you stop eating a bunch of white people food, it gets a whole lot better and way more vegan friendly, generally.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I had the same experience. That's so funny. I mean, I don't ever, I never thought about how similar maybe Michigan and Mississippi are other than they both start with MI, but so funny because I mean, I remember when I first went vegan, having a craving for fried chicken, which of course is huge in the South. And so taking tofu and cubes and putting it in a shake and bake and then putting it yeah. the, the, in the oven and making shake and bake tofu and telling everybody, oh, like it tastes like fried chicken, you know. And it's funny, the things that, you know, you're talking about like doing and then, yeah, you discover Indian food and you're like, what this is blowing your mind how good it is? Yeah.
1: Well, and, and part of, and I will say, so, and this may be why, where we get more of a connection is like my mom, her her mom and her stepdad, they, they were hillbillies. They are from Appalachia. They grew up in the mountains of East Tennessee you know tar paper shack barefoot sort of thing so i grew up eating a lot of the you know talking like biscuits and gravy or you know hominy or collars or like you know bean soup it was like i didn't know that that was like soul food or hillbilly food till i made friends with the suburbs they did not know what any of that was you know but to me that was just pretty standard and and i did like a lot of that sort of stuff growing up and that's really not super meat heavy you know it's if if it my grandparents if if they had meat it was going to be like venison or bluegill or something you know or they're they you know grandpa would go kill possums or squirrels and string them up you know it was not like you're it, was, it it was not like everybody's got their own pork chops sort of thing you know and it wasn't out of a you know an animal rights thing or an environmental thing it was just out of a a poverty thing you know it's it's pretty cheap to make a pot of bean soup you know it's pretty cheap to make some dirty rice it's pretty cheap to you know to get some potatoes going so I was fortunate to be exposed to a lot of that. I'm thinking this is, I'll just add some liquid smoke instead of bacon fat, you know, to, to my greens. Like that's, that's a simple fix right there.
0: Right. Yo, I love making a big old mess of smoky greens and doing it that way. That's uh, that's awesome that we, you know, it's the, the I guess, necessity is the mother of invention. When you're vegan and you start craving something, you get into the kitchen, you get creative and it's more fun for me. I feel like when I watch those chef shows on TV and it's just like, oh, they've been challenged with some ingredient and it's like, and they're still dumping in like a ton of cream and a ton of sugar and a ton of, I'm like, that is cheating. That's the easy way. Like try to cook the way that I cook, which is make everything healthy and vegan. And that's like, that takes some real creativity. And when you accomplish that and it still tastes good, that's when you're like really excited and enlivened about your food. Yeah. I know You do a lot of uh things where like you invite everybody to come to the gym and and you did this in Austin and I don't know how many other places where you've lived you've done this. Apparently you're doing this now with the School of Public Health in in, at Yale and you will do things like you're making Satan sandwiches for everybody. I think that's
1: Cool. Well, so, um, yeah, it was kind of bottled after what I would do. And you guys would come hang out when I was in Austin. There's the Bonebreaker Barbell. So we would, on Sundays, it was like $10 drop in. So, what's up? I just wanted
0: yeah. to say, it was a vegan gym. It was really
1: Totally. Cool. So we just get a crew together. And the idea is to just, uh, you know. I would say this gym is neutral territory yeah, because it's it's so intimidating for people that don't know what they're doing to go into a gym, I think, a lot of the time, you know. And uh, the idea of if you've got some sort of friends that you're there with and you know it's open, you're not worried about looking stupid. If you're thinking like, you're like, ask, you know, if half these people know what they're doing, any of you guys that don't know what you're doing, ask any of these people and they will gladly walk you through. And, yeah, when we are in Austin, it was cool because we would basically do a cash mob to a different vegan restaurant afterwards. That was awesome, you know. So we'd go work out for what an hour and a half or something. We'd just go all of us go hit some restaurant and you know it'd be counterculture Casa de Luz or go hit uh, Bistro Vanish and you know some some really good stuff and and they were appreciative because it might be let's say eight to twenty people all rolling in. And that's you know if you're a little food truck like that's that's very beneficial, you know, that extra whatever two, three hundred bucks, you know, four hundred bucks that's rolling in. Um, but yeah, so I did kind of have that in mind. So I live like right there, I'm looking at the Payne Whitney Gymnasium, which is Yale's gym. that's like where their basketball arenas and stuff and their their weight room and everything is in there. And uh, yeah, being at Yale School of Public Health, it's it's very, I mean, until a few months ago it was part of their med school, right? So so much of it is just, and it's Yale. so it's it's a lot of people who are, you know, their goal is to, to work in research and to work for the CDC or to, you know, consult for some sort of, you know, whatever tech firm. And like, and that's not my thing. Like my thing over and over is the same thing over. I just say, you guys need to eat some plants and you need to lift some heavy shit sometimes. Like, I'm just getting as many advanced pieces of paper as I possibly can, just so I can just keep saying that exact same thing over and over and maybe it holds more credentials. But every time we have an event through Yale, it's like, it's usually it's Drinking booze and people standing around and eating junk food. And I just don't like doing any of that. So I was like, you know, I go to this gym, ideally five, you know, or I'd hit five different muscle groups in a week. So I'm, I'm there a lot, you know, probably more days than not. um And there's got to be some other people that are down, you know. So I started a student group. um Yeah. And it got approved. And I said, all right, Sundays at 11, we're going to meet up in front of the gym right here. And if you don't know what you're doing, I'll walk you through it. And if you do, that's cool. And try to help somebody else. And then we got a budget of it was 300 bucks for the year, which is, you know, it's like 10 bucks a week. And I'm like, all right, I got 10 bucks a week to feed people. Luckily, I grew up around a bunch of hillbillies and I know how to feed people on 10 bucks. And it also comes like being on on punk tours a lot of the time. I mean, it bummed me out because let's say if I'm on tour and I'm at some anarcho squat in, I don't know, Switzerland or something, there'll be some guy with like a stick and post- face tattoo you know named sock or something who's like making a giant pot of like some like like a, a vegan curry you know with rice and you'll feed 20 20 people, every work in there and then the touring bands like we're all gonna eat and it's 20 bucks worth of food that he's doing you know and it bum me out every time i go to a yell event it's like they're paying 10 times as much money for stuff that sucks that's completely and anti- to the, the antithesis of what we're actually studying at public health so want to do better yes i've been doing this week it's a big like uh it's uh, like a pesto pasta with like it's like artichokes and kalamata olives and then sauteed garlic sauteed tempeh so big thing of that and then slicing up some apples you know just keep it easy last week was yeah homemade barbecue seitan uh on ciabatta with some some hummus and some spinach i guess week before that it's like dirty rice just switch it out and just because I know these kids aren't eating right, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm the old guy. I'm I'm 37, which is like pretty old for being in an MPH program without already being a medical doctor, which there are other, you know, guys in their late thirties that are doing it, but they're, they're all MDs. Mm -hmm. So I get stoked when, yeah, some of these, you know, 22 year old kids, 23 year old kids are are rolling in and, you know, they're stoked to lift weights and we're building some community around it. And then afterwards we're crushing some food and, and, you know, like one of my buddies, he's, 22 actually kid from he's from central valley california you know and and he's just crushed it out there they got into yale and he's just killing it as a researcher and he's going to he's going to become a medical doctor and and he has absolutely no exposure to like veganism in any capacity and and you know and he's not like he's not a vegan or anything but he's thinking like, like oh dude like this is really good and you guys are on something you know and i recently learned like you know he had lost 70 pounds or something like he used to be like you know very overweight and not in like a muscular sort of way or anything and weightlifting really helped him and now i'm stoked to thinking if you're going to go become an md and you're a yale mph educated md like that's the sort of curriculum you have before becoming the surgeon general you know and if i can get this kid at 23 to you know to learn about how you can eat very healthy on the cheap uh from eating a bunch of plants that's great
0: that's really awesome that, I mean, not only are you influencing other people, but I believe you're going to be a great influence. But I do know that you have this ability to bring people together, to organize people. And i wonder, where did you get this skill? I think a lot of um, people who want to influence others to be healthier, to be more vegan, um, would love to have your ability to bring people together. Do you think it's from Touring with all these punk bands and being in that kind of uh, atmosphere of camaraderie.
1: Yeah, there's. Um, I mean, growing up in a you know smaller city, we had to throw our own shows a lot of times. So we would play you know VFW halls or garages or you know what like basements. Or I remember playing a throwing shows at a an arcade and then doing you know played a a candy shop one time. You know, just like you would throw shows wherever you could because the infrastructure was not there. And and people showed up a lot because the other board and they're looking for somebody to start something. And if you're just sitting around waiting for somebody to start something, it's probably not going to get done, you know? And there's so many times I think like there are a thousand people at Yale more qualified to start like this, this club than me, but they didn't, you know? So then I got to do it because uh, I can't just sit around here. I want to exist. So I, I create it. And a lot of it also, I think, does come from, from my mom. Like, my mom's always the lady who, like, you know, she'd be the one throwing the bachelorette party, you know, or throwing the baby shower or, like, you know, having the family get together, you know, or graduate. Like, she's she the lady for that. She knows how to get people and just, if you create something, people will turn up most of the time. And, uh, yeah, I've seen, she's how you know, she, she she's never a concert promoter, but she'd be a damn good concert promoter for sure. So <laughs> and you- she's all, sorry, go ahead.
0: I'm sorry, you're just encouraging people to just have the confidence and just go for it? Or is there anything more to it than that?
1: Just create if there's something that you want to exist and it doesn't exist, you can probably just create it. I mean a lot of time it doesn't cost any money to say, Hey, Sunday, let's go lift weights. You know, in this case, we all have a free membership as students to the student gym, you know, like that's not that hard. You know, it takes a a little bit of effort but to me it always pays off i I don't know i like i like making things you know and there's like i'm not like i don't like managing things i don't like running things so much i like creating things and then i can pass off to somebody else and i will go create something else you know and that's i think more more my approach and i guess going back to real quick i was talking about my mom she is one of the people that started the vegan battle creek group in my hometown
0: oh cool And i remember
1: like seeing i remember one time i was back visiting i still live in hawaii going to a vegan potluck they had and there's over 100 people showing up wow and it's and it's you know if you go to one you know whatever here or where you guys live it's like it's going to be a bunch of like you know vegans and yuppies and stuff rolling in and this was not it was probably 80 percent of the people there were not vegans you know it was some just a lot of you know i remember some of the guys rolling in. they see my dad and dad's got a sleeveless harley davidson shirt and long hair you know <laughs> he's he's curling out and you know and I think that's important to see some you know diversity and and see you know some blue collar working class dudes and a guy you know talks to my dad and he's just like it's like yeah doctor said I gotta switch up you know I had whatever had a minor heart attack and I've either got to change the way I live or I'm gonna die you know and it's and it's cool seeing you know some people to show up and think like oh, okay that's it's not just like a bunch of yuppies hanging out you know or a bunch of like like yeah, I don't know hippies or something like it's we. I'm glad it's become much more normalized.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's very important. But something else I gleaned from that story is that perhaps your hatred of sleeves on shirts might be hereditary.
1: Yeah, um, dad hates sleeves dad. too. He's got big arms too, man. That's yeah. It's... <laughs> well, I guess I, I had tiny arms. I used to work for you guys and I didn't wear sleeves then either. So who knows?
0: I don't know. I always remember you working out of the gym and doing really well. And
1: you know. they were toned, but they were a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. I was about 50 pounds lighter back then. So but I actually learned how to, well, learn how to lift weights from hanging out with you guys, really. So
0: that's what happens if you keep it up, though. I mean, I think, I don't know why people stop when they get to a certain age because being 52 now, I'm finding it like I did take a brief break uh, after twenty 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 2020 was such a horrible, crazy year. And then, you know, coming back to it, it was like amazing how fast I got back to where I was. And like now I'm progressing from there so much. And I think that people think, oh, I've gotten to such and such an age whatever that number is in their head. And they yeah. think their days of working out and stuff is behind them. But I was just talking to a, a female bodybuilder the other day and I was like, can you imagine what we're going to look like when we're 80? We're going to be so buff because we're not going to stop, you know, just right. building.
1: And that's, I mean, from a public health standpoint, I, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing, like, especially when t- we talk about women, like the rate of muscular loss that women have once they get, let's say, past 40-something is astounding. Mm-hmm. It's super rapid, but if you have it to begin with, it's going to be lost at a much lower rate, you know, and you will have had more to begin with where you don't have to worry about it nearly as much. And it's also wild, like, I was actually this was just being covered in class uh, last week, but it's something I nerd out on of like, you don't have to do that much activity in order to see like drastic benefits. It's like the difference between doing absolutely nothing and let's say getting your heart rate up, you know, four times a week for half hour. Like the the benefits from there are much greater than the difference between that person that like gets somewhat active four days a week for half hour versus like ultra marathoners. Mm -hmm. like it's it's the acceleration is super fast and it it levels out pretty quickly you know there are benefits to being these like freak athletes but you don't have to do that much just doing something instead of nothing is like that's how you're going to raise your life expectancy you know several years just not doing nothing
0: right and i mean i know we've covered ultra marathoners i was an ultra marathoner i ran a 50k i ran some this race called Run Like the Wind in Austin that was went on for hours and hours. Actually, we had other people who worked for us in the magazine who ran it for 24, 48 hours. Um, Brian, my partner, ran it for 24 hours one time. So, I mean, nothing against ultra marathoners, but I do think that there is a point of diminishing returns. And there's a point where you're setting yourself up to be more susceptible to all kinds of um, colds and flus and mm-hmm. uh, injuries and things like that. And so really, I mean, even though we have had all these bodybuilders on the cover and the ultra marathoners, because of course these people get a lot of attention because they're doing something that's far extreme from what the mainstream person would do. But at the same time, I feel like really preaching moderation and exercise is the ideal.
1: Totally. Yeah. You know, yeah, you, you have some, obviously some pretty amazing athletes that are coming through, but like seem pretty healthy, you know, generally from what I've been able to tell, um, but yeah, but you're right. It's just, it's, it's diminishing returns. It's, it's, which does, doesn't mean it's still not a good deal. I don't know. Like, like we, we both work out to a point where it's not going to be the same rate as if we just did nothing, but you know, that's, that's what I need in order to keep myself happy and functional. So find what, what works.
0: We've been kind of skipping around a little bit on your story, but let's just tell the story. So when did you start touring with punk bands? Like how did that come about? How many um, years have you done it? Tell us about all the wonderful places you toured all around the world. Right. And then you've been the lead singer of punk bands. You're currently in a punk band and I believe you play bass.
1: I play guitar in a ska band now. Yeah. I, well, I started the band on bass, but I play guitar. But yeah. Um, so I started playing in bands. First time I played a show, I was 15. You know, so I jammed around a bit before that, but started playing just hall shows and stuff when I was 15. Um and then started like touring yeah i used to do some like weekenders and stuff when i was like 17 but i think the first time i went on like a like a long tour i was 18 or maybe 19 definitely by 19 i was like on tour a lot um back then um but yeah so i i mean at this point i've been to been to every state uh I mean, finally, I went to Alaska a few years ago on tour. We had an Anchorage gig before flying out to Punk in the Park down in California. With I was with Authority 0 who We're a phenomenal band from Arizona, and their guitar player is vegan. He's awesome. Um, but all the boys, are all good sports about it. You know, nobody's, nobody's complaining if we go hit a vegan spot, so that's cool. Um, but, yeah, I work in Europe largely at this point for the last – I mean, first time I toured Europe was probably 16 years ago, but for the last, let's say, five years, I guess besides whatever 2020, you know, definitely nobody's going to Europe then, but I'm usually in Europe all summer working, um, which has been cool. So more Germany than anywhere else, which is probably the best vegan scene of any country I've been to in the world, is going to Germany, Um, but Austria, Switzerland, Czech Republic, Slovenia, Poland, UK, Sweden, Denmark, Luxembourg, France, Spain. Uh, just I guess on vacation, been to like Malta, uh, or it was in the Azores. The Azores are phenomenal. You know, Iceland, uh, going to Cyprus in next month, which will be awesome. Check another country off. Um, yeah, and then even like... I guess from tour when I was living in Hawaii, working in Europe, there's no good way to get between those two spots. So definitely spent time in Southeast Asia on the route, flying home to Thailand and Malaysia and Singapore. And then uh, back to, you know, lived in Australia and then got to work at VegFest in New Zealand. So been around a bit for sure uh, because of this this music.
0: So tell us, how do you do that? How did you get to, I mean, you've done merch for a lot of other bands and so and i know you you guys don't spend a lot of money on your your housing when you're traveling so you're able to like all share spaces to stay because i think a lot of people are listening to this thing going okay he's talking about being a white trash poor boy from michigan and he's doing these luxurious trips all over the world how is he doing this yeah like like to do it too
1: well i mean like uh on Tuesday I'm going to Puerto Rico. Why? Because I found round trip flights for 120 bucks and you can stay in the ocean for 70 bucks a night in Rincones. So I'm like, I'm gonna go do that. You know, it's I don't know if if I I'm in Connecticut right now. If I said I went to New York for the weekend, nobody would bat an eye. But if I said I'm going to Puerto Rico, like, ooh, extravagant. I'm like, it's cheaper for me to go to Puerto Rico, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh it's, yeah, similarly, like next uh, next month I'm going to on a $320 round trip flight to London, you know, I'm flying at stupid hours, I'm not picking my own seats, I bring one messenger bag, you know, and then from there, I found a flight to Cyprus for 40 bucks, so I'm like, I'm gonna go to Cyprus, and once you get there, it's real cheap, you know, when I lived in Austin, I remember going to Nicaragua, cause it was round trip under 200 bucks to get to Nicaragua, when you get there, it's real cheap, you know, so I think it's a matter of, I mean, I don't have any kids, you know, that probably helps immensely, I don't have I don't know i don't buy all i buy is food and i travel Mm -hmm. and that's just what what's important to me really i I go see bands or i guess i go to sporting events that's Mm -hmm. but even there i get nosebleeds you know i don't care um (laughs) but yeah so if you want to live pretty simply you can pull that off Mm -hmm. um but I mean, if you're trying to go, you know, whatever, stay in resorts and, you know, they're, they're, that can be very expensive, you know, or if you're trying to, I don't know, just buy a bunch of souvenirs for stuff or you need to fly first class and it's going to be steeper. And I just, I don't have that kind of money. And yeah, I learned a lot of this on tour and now on tour was we're living pretty all right. You know, I mean, a lot of time we're doing festival circuits, like if I'm out in Europe, you know, we're staying in, pretty nice hotels and stuff. Generally, I'll still sleep on a floor. Don't get me wrong. But like, you know, the, the days of getting three bands with 20 dudes sleeping in a living room that smells like cat piss. I'm not saying they're done, but they are far less frequent than they were 20 years ago, for sure. Like we're much more likely to have, you know, good, good hospitality, killer vegan food much of the time. Cause it's just, it's just so standard for a promoter to think like, I don't wanna make four different things. I'll just make one thing that's vegan.
0: Yeah, because everybody yeah. can eat the vegan thing.
1: That's the idea. Yeah, it's, 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 it's donating O-type blood. It's, it works for everybody, you know?
0: That's right. It's a good way of looking at it. I like that. Yeah. That's cool. And so, um, and you ended up going from being this, you know, kid from Michigan who was touring around uh, with all these bands. And one day you sent us an email and you said, Hey, I really like vegan health and fitness magazine. I'd really like to come and work for you. You were in Michigan and we were in Austin, Texas. And I was like, well, if you have a way to get here, you know, yeah. you seem like a smart, cool dude and you, you know, or if you're willing to work, you know, we've got something for you and you got on the train and then you showed up. We were all like blown away. Like, wow, this guy, I can't believe he came all this way just to work for us. How?" honored for and then when you got there we were like oh and he's actually a really cool guy who's really smart and capable so we really enjoyed having you that was a a wild little experience
1: well yeah I mean you got you were a contributing factor I mean I'd read the magazine before that you know I, I had I got sober July 2013 so I probably reached out to you guys and then that winter I was in a psychiatric hospital. I was institutionalized twice, you know, and uh, doing outpatient therapy for months, just trying to relearn how to not want to kill myself. And uh, definitely, like, I mean, I spent a lot of time in a yoga studio and I spent a lot of time focusing on food, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, so I remember like, uh, you know, reading the magazine and thinking that was cool and I, you know, followed Robert Cheek and stuff beforehand so I was aware and, and I'd been to Austin a bunch of times on tour and I just thought it was a cool city you know, anyway, so when I realized you guys were there, I'm like, well, whatever else, you know you miss 100% of the shots, you don't take so I'd reached out and I think at the, by the time I reached out to you guys, I, I I'm pretty sure I'd already planned on going down there, but I'm like, I'm, you know Yeah, I'd I'd at least been like putting out some feelers, you know, to see, like, does it seem like I'm probably gonna do it anyways, but let's try to make it, you know, not, let's try to make it so I don't fail in the process. But yeah, so that was part of it. So I I went there and then uh, sometime around then, I think is when I started working for Counterculture as well It was a phenomenal restaurant, love that spot, you know, so it was, it was pretty cool I, I knew i needed to get out of dodge and just kind of go reinvent myself somewhere and i showed up and started working at a vegan restaurant and working for a vegan magazine and i'm like well so it's, uh, it's pretty pretty solid
0: so did you go vegan before you went yeah. to institution
1: yeah, yeah yeah no i've been vegan that so i've been vegan for years before i went sober i went vegan in 2000. I think it was vegetarian, 2002, vegan, 2009. I got sober 2013. So I'd already been vegan for years at that point. But I think, uh, I mean, it just, it just kind of, you know, when I got sober, I got, I don't know, I was reading a lot of Eastern philosophy I was at the yoga studio, a lot, you know, reading Bhagavad Gita, you know, and then definitely, you know, I was cooking a lot and that was, that was kind of my scene. That's just something that I said, still a big part of my life. Obviously I cook constantly and eat plants and, but getting to the fitness side of things is when I started to think, you know, because you know how it is, dude. You see, like, oh, you have to eat 12 chicken breasts a day or you're a pansy, you know, it's just like, and then seeing, you know, a Tori and, and, uh, you know, Corin and, and like, these Warren sort of do things like.
0: Corin Sutton.
1: Yeah, totally. You know, and I Cheek, think- especially. I mean, he's, he's been a high profile dude for a while. Thinking like, all right, these guys, you know, I remember seeing, yeah, I think like these dudes are jacked they get it they know what's up and I knew that that was possible you know but it was just cool to see it I guess written out more clearly yes
0: well I'm glad that our magazine was able to inspire you and I'm glad that you were able to come and work with us and then seeing what you've done from there we can't help but feel like proud parents in some ways because we had this experience with you and then to see well you went from there to Australia
1: Yep, I moved to Australia for a year, and I worked at a vegan restaurant out there, which was cool. And
0: and you got really into rugby.
1: Uh, Australian rules football, yeah, Aussie rules.
0: It looks like rugby, but it's not. It,
1: yeah, it's a different sport, but it's it's cool. It's that's a common mistake. Um, but yes, yeah, so I played a lot of Aussie rules. I started playing that in Austin actually for the Austin Crows, but I got super into it in Melbourne. I mean, that's like that's the religion out there. And then, um, but yeah, at a certain point. I was road tripping in Australia into the outback, and uh, there's this Jawbreaker song where they say, "What's the furthest place from here?" And I'm like, "Battle Creek, Michigan, probably." That's about I'm about as far away. You know, there's kangaroos and koala crossing signs. I'm like, "I'm about as far away from our start as I possibly can." I'm like, now what, you know? So I, uh, I. I remember going to there was a healthcare symposium with Dr. Kim Williams, who was the head of the American Associated of Cardiologists or whatever. He was coming to Melbourne. He was a big, he was a big uh, tennis fan, and the Australian Open was happening. So while he was there, he was doing this, you know, healthcare talk. I was on the vegan Melbourne board, and and you know the the promoter of the event had posted it, you know, and I said like oh, that, you know, and it was however I forget how much money. Um, I said that looks awesome. She's like. Or yeah, it looks awesome. There's just no way I could afford it, you know? And then she's like, well, here are the perks. I've listed them all. And I said, like, I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm saying I'm a minimum wage restaurant worker that's here. Like, you know, as an immigrant, like, I just don't personally have that. And then her name is Lucy. She's awesome. She reached out to me and she said, if you cover your food costs, I'll get you in. I'm like, how much is that? She was like, it was like 20 bucks or something I'm like done. So I showed up and I remember hearing him talk, you know, and a lot of the kind of the um, the Australian, like, yeah, there's a whole different scene for like the Australian, like, like vegan, um, vegan health people out there, uh, doctors, uh, Aldolphus and Helene Roegs, I remember like hearing them talk mm-hmm. and I remember sitting in that room and it's it's all just dietitians and medical doctors and, you know, public health workers and, and nurses and stuff and, and then me, you know and and I was just like all right I I'm gonna go get an education like I need to you know I I, it's, I like those people I like the people that really knew their shit and had a background because a lot of times you get people where it's just like even with, you know, when you wanted my own page with the vegan yoga punk or whatever it's like if it was me shirtless doing a headstand there'd be hundreds of likes and everybody stoked on it and if I did some long-winded well-thought thing nobody cared you know and I'm just like dude looks are going to fade at a certain point that's not a sustainable model like having you know and i've seen these medical doctors talk and they got nothing for sale there's no magic powders there's no magic crystals or anything they're just this is just what they do because it's an extension of what they believe as you know as, as, as physicians and i'm like that's what i need to go do so i had visited hawaii before i moved to australia and i'm like I guess I should, I'm we to community college somewhere as a 31 year old. It's not a bad place. So I applied to Honolulu community college and started doing, you know, moved out there a few months later and started classes and then finished at HCC and then went to University of Hawaii at Manoa. Um, Originally I was trying to do the dietetics pathway, but I changed it to public health. And I think that was a good move. So I got a public health degree and uh, um, yeah, and then certain point i moved to michigan to go to there's a flint campus of university of michigan had a mph program and i'm applying to university of michigan ann arbor as well and got accepted there and a few other spots but i uh despite having a 1.9 high school gpa i had a 4.0 in college which is crazy you know because it's i'm old and i care you know and me too totally and yeah so i applied to yale and it wound up being cheaper for me to go to yale than it was to go to the satellite campus of the state school, walking distance from my house in Michigan. So I'm like, I'm not going to not go to, like, I can't not go to Yale if I have that crazy opportunity. So I came out here. Awesome. You know, I don't, I don't love it. Like, I'm I'm glad to be here. I will be glad to leave, you know? It's like, I know you're a similar thing, right? You're, you're UC Berkeley. That piece of paper holds a lot of weight, right? Mm -hmm. Yale, same thing. That piece of paper is going to open, it's at least going to get your resume read in a lot of places, you know, so... Yeah. That's kind of the approach, but uh, yeah, we'll see where I wind up doing the PhD program. I've applied to a few different spots, but.
0: So you're, you're going to go on and uh, possibly do a PhD program, but there's a chance that you might do something else. And so you have several different options that you posted on your Instagram.
1: Yeah.
0: I encourage people to go and look at Dallas McCullough's Instagram page and vote <laughs> on
1: what,
0: what thing you think you should do, but he's looking at Wayne State as number one right now.
1: Wayne State would be my number one. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's in Detroit. I love Detroit. Um, you know, I'm looking at the, so much of what I study is the link between socioeconomic status and health outcome, you know, especially when you're looking at, I grew up in a food desert, looking at food deserts, you know, looking at built environment, what sort of role that that plays. And it's, you know, a place like Yale, it's just, there are more people at Yale from the top 1%, than there's the bottom 60%, you know, so it's just, poverty is more theoretical here you know like they've heard about it you know it does exist exist right over there actually but people from yale don't go over there you know and i just i think that i could do a lot more good being in an environment where you know where there's other first generation college students and there's other low-income people and there's you know it's it's not all just where wick and food stamps and stuff are not theoretical like this is the thing that you know, I've I've dealt with and that a lot of people from the community do. And I think that's the sort of environment I want to work in. Yeah, so good hopefully good. Wayne State, uh, the PhD I applied to there is the PhD in the sociology of health and illness. So yeah. it's more of a systemic sort of situation, so very rarely on an individual, you know, level. I mean, I still nerd out on that, but that's not what my research interests are.
0: What it's are your research on... interests? We're looking forward to your research papers. Yeah.
1: Just, just systemic you know systemic
0: totally. issues of poverty and food insecurity and
1: yeah it all ties in and and especially i think coming in as i mean there's no there's no dudes in public health for starters unless you're like epidemiology or or policy like there there are you know but it's you know, when I roll in, I'm a six foot, 200 pound, like pretty heavily tattooed, like fairly muscular man. There, There's, I stand out like a sore thumb.
0: Is, there, it, is that what you mean? When you say there's no dudes?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's no men. There's oh, no men in
0: the... <laughs> I didn't know if you were like, they're not dudes.
1: Oh, no. I mean, like, just like, like, like males, like there aren't males in in the, in the field. I think that's a, okay. that's a, and there's certainly not nearly enough like working poor and working class people that are that are there and I think that's a problem you know because you think about cultural relevancy let's say if if me and my classmate right we both know the exact same things but if we go into let's say the auto plant that my brother works at and I start talking about a diet intervention you know or the importance of eating plants or exercising even if we know the exact same things if it's a a 100 pound Chinese girl versus a 200 pound dude with a Detroit Tigers flag you know showing up They might listen to me and not her, you know, which is a shame. But that's the way it is. Is that you are going to find relevancy much more so with people that you can relate to, and there just aren't enough men that are within this, you know.
0: Right. That's why we need diversity in all these programs. Is because there needs to be everybody's a little ambassador that then goes out to their own community and spread information.
1: And specifically economic, you know, there, there have been. There's a long way to go, but there's a lot of, there've been major advancements within our lifetimes of, let's say, LGBTQ populations, much more acceptable than it was, you know, in the 80s or something, you know, seeing, I mean, within you know, politics or whatever, like it's, you know, seeing like we've had a black president, like that's cool. There's still a long way to go. There's still a whole lot of problems that exist, but like, I didn't think that would have been possible in the 80s. There's no way, you know, or seeing... I don't know, like, 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 you know, women making a lot of advancements, a lot of things. But I think when we're talking about socioeconomic status, we're going, we're regressing on that. Mm -hmm. And there's just, there is a, the gap is widening between the upper and lower classes for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm
0: somebody in Yale who realizes that and who is going to take their Yale diploma and have that in mind as you uh, go into your future and do things, because it does seem like, yeah, like, You and I were talking yesterday about having similar experiences being in these top schools, like when I went to UC Berkeley for law school, that you're surrounded by people who come from privileged families and they don't, you know, they don't know what it's like. And maybe, you know, I'm practicing immigration law now, so maybe that's where I needed to go so I could be around people who needed me uh, in that way. And, you know, my partner does environmental law, and so you're going to go and take the education that you're getting somewhere that the other students at Yale aren't gonna take it.
1: You know, I hope so. And, and you know, and and obviously I'm afforded, I'm the walking embodiment of structural privilege. I understand I'm a, a straight, white, English speaking, US born, able-bodied man. You know, so it doesn't mean I haven't had to overcome anything. I haven't had to overcome those things, but man, being poor, you know, or being from a very under-resourced place as an American, there's not a great amount of social mobility that exists, you know. Um,
0: yeah, the American dream is what was sold to us when we were young. And I know everybody was telling me, and, and you know, so why I didn't mind taking out as many crazy student loans as I did. It's like, you're going to go, yeah. and once you get this education, everything's going to be different. You can just move, and you're going to have this fabulous you know, And I remember all of the movies back in the 80s, it was all like everybody, when you see what they're going to be like in their future, and we all thought we were all going to be rich and have a Ferrari and a big house and all this stuff. And then when it's like, oh, all of that was bullshit, you know, we're like, it doesn't matter how well educated you are, it doesn't matter, you know, all these different rules this is the path that they told you to take. There's still so many things that are just reserved for people who have certain connections with certain other people that's who it. are already in positions of power who can give them a leg up.
1: Yeah, no, one hundred percent. If you if you got a trust fund and you know and your your whatever your your pops can get you in like that's one thing. Um, yeah, but. Uh, and I but, think a lot
0: of people would see people like us, like you say you know, you're a white male, and here I am with the blondie hair again, and Mm -hmm. being a female, and I feel like a lot of people will look at us and be like, you guys are, you know, privileged, and we are in so many ways, and we do acknowledge that, but it's like, we still have to acknowledge the the, the ceilings that exist for, for you know, people who come from our kind of backgrounds also, and there's, every ceiling needs to be, you know, shattered. There's no reason why we should live in a society where, anybody is held back from their full potential if we really want to have a successful society
1: totally no absolutely yeah and and socioeconomic status i think is just it's not addressed nearly often enough and i guess i'm doing it really from a public health standpoint of trying to trying to tackle this
0: and so what is it that you ultimately would like to do is there do you have an endpoint goal of like an, a vision that you see of yourself being in a position where you can influence certain things to change or are you keeping oh, yeah. it open and you're like, I'm just going to take whatever opportunities come as they may.
1: I mean, I'm going to take what comes, but if, if I had to plan out what I think seems like the most likely, like like what I'm doing and let's say I met you nine years ago, nine years from now, what am I doing? I think, I think Professor McCulloch is going to be a very popular public health professor that inspires people. To, to give a shit about a lot of this, you know, to, to give a shit about not just their well-being, you know, but but the well-being of others within their communities and realizing that, you know, there there are a lot of systemic problems that, that lead to that and it makes it more difficult. But we're not all powerless, you know. We we, we we have some level of agency. It might be a whole lot fucking harder, but I think we can do something, you know. And, and that's, that's my thought process. And especially, you know, again, like I'm just trying to be yeah, I don't know, being, being the, the, whatever, the, the, the big, you know, tattooed, whatever sketchy dude say, like, the the professor says, I I like, you know, heavy metal, and I like whatever, uh, I guess, fake beer at this point, you know, and I like, like buffets, and I like, you know, watching football, and I like, you know, whatever, having sex with women, and I like explosions and action movies, and I still give a shit about, like, eating some vegetables, you know, and I still think you need to talk to a therapist if you've got a mental problem, you know, and I think that, you need to take concern for others. Um, and that that's an extension of it. and that's that's what public health is. It's the idea of just trying to prevent illness uh, through preventative action. and that's an extension of that. You know so like masculinity is fine. This toxic masculinity is especially problematic, and that needs to be dismantled. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just kind of extension of this this like just stupid american culture that teaches you know you want to be a real man you got to chain smoke marlboros and only eat raw bacon or something it's just it's just stupid and i want to shatter that by teaching the next generation of public health workers to take concern
0: i think you're a, a good uh person to talk to about the toxic masculinity thing because i think that there's i mean i'm a huge feminist and everybody who knows me knows it but I also know that there is such a thing as toxic femininity, and I think that for both uh, sides of the coin, the toxic masculinity and the toxic femininity, I don't know how much of this is um, that you can put on individuals, because every single individual that I've seen that's been guilty of some bad behavior, whether it be The woman playing weak and stupid, and you know, wearing enough makeup to be a drag queen or a circus clown, and having tons of cleavage, and still trying to be taken seriously on the job, and doing you know things that that people do to self-sabotage, the same, that kind of, and, and then you know, the kind of flirtiness and things like that that women can bring into inappropriate situations and things like that. That's just as toxic as the man who brings in the flirtiness to inappropriate situations or the groping or what have you or making comments that are sexist or not wanting to include women in things. You know, there are, there's toxicity that happens on both sides of uh, the aisle. And I think that, it's like so many of these things, it's systemic, it's something that has uh, been ingrained in our society, and maybe we can blame the media, maybe we can blame Hollywood, I don't know what the root of it is, but I think the more that we shine lights on these things, it's not to demonize any individuals you know I think that that's what's happened a lot and cancel people but it should be to show something that needs to be changed so that we can pay attention to it and we can do better in the future and so I think that um, like for for instance in your situation being a you know single white male who you know dates a lot and you know I'm sure you can be in a situation where you could be marginalized in that way as well do you have Any, like, advice or any comments that you want to make about that for other guys?
1: I mean, okay, I mean, I I definitely have have no, I definitely have no comment on, I guess, whatever, I'm never going to tell a woman how to act or, you know, what to wear or any sort of shit. I don't, (laughs) I don't, I don't mess with any of that. Like, that's just, that's not any of my concern. You know, I've got control over my own agency. That's it's coming from uh, from a position of of privilege, coming from a position of power. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't I certainly do not feel marginalized in any capacity as a result of being like a straight white, able bodied, speaking, whatever, dude, like there may be people who are just like, like, I don't know. Some people might shit on that, but those those aren't my people. But ultimately, I understand that that's that even that that's situation of punching up, you know and and i think it's misdirected hostility but it's still valid to be pissed off that unfortunately everything is run by people that more or less match up with me on paper for everything and and i don't know what it's like to be in that sort of oppressed situation so i don't know uh i know i'm not going to try to punch down anybody though for sure um yeah i don't i don't think that you know, I don't know, being shitty to a person based on whatever, race or gender, or sexuality, any capacity is mm-hmm. ever a great move. But I also don't know what it's like to be, you know, constantly marginalized for no. anything. I no. know that any any no. aspect of my life, it, it's pretty much always just the default option. You know, if I ran for president, they would say, oh, there's a white guy running for president, you know, or there's a man running for president. It would just be always, there's a person running for president. You just assume it's a straight white dude that speaks English, you know, like that's able-bodied, like unless it's specified. Otherwise, everything I do or everything I am is going to be the default option. And I don't know what it's like to not be that. So I just, I don't know. I, I try to sit out. I try to listen to people. If they say something's a problem and I haven't experienced it, generally think they're probably right. You know, probably believe them, even if I haven't personally dealt with it as I'm just, I'm not going to be able to personally deal with most of that.
0: All right. Well, you, when you worked for the magazine, one of the coolest things that you did was interviewing John Joseph of the Cro-Mags and mm-hmm. he had just come out with a book by, with a controversial title and uh, you did a great job interviewing him. And then we went to a Cro-Mags show to photograph John Joseph and he was so nice to give us the spot right up front. We had a wristband on so we could go up on the stage and take photos if we wanted to. And Like I was saying, like in my background, like I haven't gone to a lot of punk shows, but certainly been to a lot of concerts where mosh pits have broken out, and Mm -hmm. I always hated them. Being a woman, because it's a bunch of rowdy guys getting in a circle and just aggressive masculinity gone wild, and Mm When well, we were at the cro show, I was like, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to be in this mosh pit and I'm going to be a part of this and I'm not going to let it intimidate me. And within two seconds, I got punched in the nose and bloodied and was running out of there. Our photographer was diving on the stage, protecting the camera, and then did all of the other photo shooting from on the stage rather than the silly idea of trying to do it from in the crowd, getting a, a shot of the a singer from below. But anyway, that whole experience, um brought up a lot of issues for me thinking about like you know the masculinity in that uh in the punk punk scene even though i feel like it's an um an environment and the music is so much about inclusiveness and everything Mm -hmm. but i found it to be very masculine did you did you find it that way or
1: how do you feel yeah i mean it depends on there there are different subsets within genres there are certain bands that have just straight up said like like don't mosh to our bands like like they're like punk bands They're like, like don't mosh like we hate it you know like ladies to the front sort of thing so there's a level of that mm-hmm. um you know talking Chromax, yeah i mean these are these are some not meathead but tofu head dudes you know from the 80s uh for sure and that definitely brings out more of that but it's it's a a level of controlled chaos you know if somebody falls down they're getting picked back up at least you know if nobody's going to be like oh that person's bleeding let's punch him more you know so it's mm-hmm you know it's uh
0: just punch
1: once. It's, what's up
0: they just punch him once it's no biggie
1: yeah it's, it's more like uh i don't know i think it's more like we, we see the pit as like playing sports or something you know like it's it's gonna get rowdy and you know what you're doing and if you're if you're in front of the stage that's gonna happen but like if you want to stand in the back you're fine you know nobody's i went to a show last night on a date i stood in the back it was fine like nobody was there were stage divers and stuff but not where we were you know so it's I think there's a level of you can avoid that generally if you want to, um, and and some artists you know have chosen to take the route of just like don't mosh at her shows, and I think that's fair game for them to be able to say as well. I think but,
0: that's uh, nice when they say that, but at the same time, I do understand people having so much enthusiasm and exuberance in that. So it's a form of dance for some people yeah. and it's a way of interacting with the other people in the crowd and it is unfortunate that it does tend to make you know the females have to like get out of the way and get away from the the stage but um anyway did the interview that you did with john joseph i thought was uh, really cool did you find that to be like a, a highlight of your experience with us
1: yeah well and i think just getting the musicians and you know the travis barker was you know that was very cool i mean he's obviously he's huge and he just uh, had a some sort of like vegan cheese commercial i just saw like a day or two ago that he just did so that was cool i mean Davey havert from afi you know that was awesome uh chris from propaganda it was just like i mean i love propaganda it's an amazing band so yeah there's a lot of a lot of like Pretty uh pretty awesome experiences when you get there. And I know like afterwards when you guys, you know, got like Rob Zombie on there, like and you got Doyle from from the Misfits. Like, you know, I didn't I didn't get to, you know, to talk to him, but it was still this awesome thing. And, like, dude, like Doyle was jacked. Like that dude is ridiculous. Um but yeah, so it was really cool to be able to think like I remember um there you know, I guess before that it was there's was a whatever episode had like Adam Holly on the cover. And um I remember it, like uh... like and Holly Mill. Um, I remember, like, like somebody just putting a picture of it up. So they saw it at Whole Foods, and it said, like, like vegan straight edge, you know, fitness or whatever. And somebody's just like, "Whoa, things have changed a lot," you know. Mm-hmm. Like spotted at Whole Foods, so it's really cool thinking that some of these ideas could, like, you know, be brought into a much more mainstream audience for sure. You know, and be able to get like, like Chris Hannah from Propaganda, like that's like pretty radical stuff, and it's awesome, you know, to be able to think that. Somebody could pick that up and like, you know, a health food store or something and be able to to hear this side of things as well.
0: Well, that was a lot of fun. And I'm glad that you were there to be a part of it and to to take take that part of the magazine into those uh, genres where it might not have gone if you hadn't been on our staff. So mm-hmm. I think we should probably wrap up our interview now because I can see it's getting very dark there at Yale. And you're relying on natural light an awful lot so before you go completely black we will say thank you so much for joining us for the vegan health and fitness podcast and uh, hopefully we can talk again in the future about what you're doing in the field of public health because i know you're going to be doing great things
1: sounds good stay positive and i will uh at some point we'll get you on the guest list for some show i'm coming through i know you guys are down to come hang and get some dinner and stuff so we'll just it up at some point. Um, and I'm stoked to see you guys around.
0: Thank you. Okay. Take care.
1: Cheers.
0: Peace, health, and happiness. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe. It really does help us reach more people and hit the bell for notifications. If you'd like to be informed when our new episodes come out.